Thank you, Spirit of Grace, for leading us in worship today. We welcome all those who are online and watching and uh, listening to our podcast. We thank you so very much for your presence and your attendance with us as well. And may God bless you and speak to you as well through our worship and through this spoken word today. Today we get to continue our sermon series, When Kingdoms Collide, from the book of Mark. Today we are up to Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 23. We continue the conversation, the confrontation that Jesus is having with the Pharisees that we began to look at last Sunday. And today we continue reading chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, reading through verse 23. Let us give our full attention to the Word of God this morning. Let us ponder these words as we focus them. They are on the screen, or if you want to look through the Bible, you can do that too. And Jesus said to them, that is the Pharisees, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked them? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For, does it, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared, all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord and Father, we come before you today to worship you, yes, but also to hear your word read and proclaimed. And so, God, we're praying that you will meet us here and honor our faithfulness, even as we have come to meet you, to hear a word from you today. So, Lord, help me, your servant, to get out of the way, to let your Spirit speak through this word, a word that I think you've given to me to share with Grace Church. So, Lord, would you come? 
Fill this time with your spirit. Guide us and lead us. Help us to be focused on you and your word. May we hear the still small voice of your spirit deep within, even this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. People loved by God, have you ever missed the main point, the main thing? Maybe you set out for a concert or a special event, and maybe you had to travel some distance, and, and maybe you even got lost, maybe you, there was a detour, maybe your car broke down like mine did on my vacation, and you, you ended up missing the whole event, the whole concert. Maybe there was a wedding that you got invited to uh, a friend or a relative and you weren't quite sure where the church was. You got lost on the way. By the time you got there, it was practically over. They'd already said their vows. Maybe you sat in a class in high school or college and you heard the teacher or the professor speak and they were giving a lecture and you're sitting there thinking, Phew, what is the point of this? It seems over my head. Or maybe you were listening to a sermon given by Pastor Dave and you thought, where in the world is he going with this, right? I can't follow this at all. Today's passage is about a time when the Pharisees and Jewish teachers of the law missed the main thing. They missed the point. Last week in this conversation, this confrontation that Jesus has with the Pharisees, they, they complained to Jesus about his disciples who failed to wash their hands according to the age-old Jewish custom and, and that they would eat their food with unclean hands. And, and they raise a beef about it with Jesus and he responds harshly. Remember? He said, you hypocrites. You, you worship me with your lips. You give lip service to God, but... Your hearts are far from me. And today this conversation continues and we pick it up in verses 9 through 23. And Jesus says in verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Jesus says in verse 13, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like this. And he goes on to say in verses 14 through 23 that it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, that is the food that you eat. No, it's what comes out of a man or a person that makes him or her unclean. That is what sin is in, in our hearts. And once again, people, uh, Jesus points people to examine their hearts. The Pharisees and Jewish religious leaders were so obsessed with looking good on the outside and, and keeping up appearances, sounds like an English comedy, following all their religious rules and rituals that they missed the main thing. They failed to examine their hearts before God. For Samuel 16 says, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What's in your heart? You know, there are many possible directions to go with today's scripture passage. 
We could look at the example Jesus cites and explore what it means to honor your father and mother in today's world. We could talk about Korban, this Old Testament Jewish vow, and how we, like them, make excuses, can even misinterpret God's word sometimes to justify our lack of obedience and compassion. We could talk about what it means to have a clean heart, be clean on the inside, rather than just keeping up appearances. We could talk about the specific sins listed in verses 21 through 23. Maybe you're guilty of harboring some secret sins in your heart, in your life. Or we could do what I feel God calling us to do this morning, and that is to kind of pan out And look at the big picture. What is the main thing here? What is Jesus' underlying concern in all of these interactions and everything that he is saying to the Pharisees and his confrontation to them? What is it that that Jesus is most concerned about? What is the main thing? I want to submit to you this morning that the main thing, that which Jesus is most concerned about here, is the Word of God, the commands of God. Today we would say the Bible. And there are three assertions that Jesus is making about the Word that I think apply to our lives today too. You might want to grab your outline and fill them in as we go. The first assertion that Jesus is making about the Word is that the Word of God, number one, must have authority. Notice how this theme emerges in Mark chapter 7. In verse 7, backing up, they or you worship me in vain. Your teachings are but rules taught by men. Verse 8, you have let go of the commands of God, there's that expression, and are holding on to the traditions of men. Verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God, there it is again, in order to observe your own tradition. In verses 10 through 12, Jesus cites an example of how they misuse Scripture. In verse 13, he says again, thus you nullify the Word of God by your traditions that you've handed down. You do many things like this. Do you see the recurring theme here? It's not that hard to see. Jesus' concern primarily is for fidelity to the commands of God, the Word of God. For that must have authority over traditions and customs and religious rules and routines of people. Let me ask you this question. What has authority in your life? Whose word carries the most weight with you? Is it what other people say about you? Are you overly concerned about others' opinions or what they may be thinking, even whether they like you or not? Maybe it's the words of family members or friends. Maybe sometimes those words sting a little. Maybe it's what people say or post about you on Facebook or social media. 
Maybe you've given authority to the people on Fox News or CNN or MSNBC. Uh, Maybe you've given your allegiance to a particular political party and you see your faith through the lens of that political party instead of the other way around. Maybe it's the words of your spouse or your parents or your children. In fact, maybe, maybe somebody's parents here have said something that you heard as a child and it still hangs with you. It, it, it hurts. Maybe the ultimate authority in your life is the stock market, the Dow Jones, the NASDAQ, or your bank account. For some, it's fame or fortune, power or possessions. Maybe it's your good looks, your fashion, your beauty, your brawn. There's a lot of things that can hold ultimate authority in our lives. What drives you? What motivates you? What commands you to do what you do? For the Pharisees, it was an entire religious system that they had devised, which included man-made traditions and customs. And Jesus is asserting in Mark 7 that, no, the Word of God is what must carry ultimate authority above all over these traditions and everything else. The commands of God, the teachings of Scripture, the Bible... These things supersede everything else. Don't compromise it. I love how the reformers in our tradition stated it over and against the abuses of the Catholic Church during the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. The Bible, they declared, is our ultimate rule for life and faith and doctrine. It's why in Reformed churches today, many of them still have a pulpit and a big old Bible that's open on it, and it's symbolic of how the Bible is central, it's important, it's lifted up, it's above everything else that we do, and it defines who we are as a people, as a church. The Bible is our ultimate rule for life and faith and doctrine. It is infallible in all that it teaches. It is sufficiently clear in spelling out the plain, the, excuse me, the plan of salvation. It is eternally reliable and it is inspired by God himself. 2 Peter 1.21, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 16 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. What place does the Word of God have in your life? I, I trust that you all have a Bible, and I trust that you read it, not just on Sunday mornings when we gather together, that's good, that's important, but I trust that you read it maybe every day throughout the week that you ponder its words, maybe that you memorize it, study it, join a Bible study or a small group, learn more. Do you live according to this word or do you just hear it? James says, no, be doers of the word. Or are you simply following rituals and rules and traditions in your faith? It's my prayer as your pastor that Grace Church, that we would be a people of the word. That the Bible is our rule for living. And Jesus is saying, number one, he is asserting this, uh, this, this important truth. The word of God must 
have authority. Number two, another underlying assertion that Jesus is making here in his conversation with the Pharisees is that the Word of God must be handled with attention. Say it with me. The Word of God must be handled with attention. One of the issues Jesus has with these Pharisees here is how they were misusing Scripture to justify their disobedience. Jesus cites the familiar Old Testament command to honor your father and mother. It's a part of the Ten Commandments. Everybody knew it. It was core to the commands of God. And yet the Pharisees used another scripture verse found in Numbers 30, verses 1 through 2, something called the Korban vow to suggest that whatever money they give to their parents really should be given to God, to the temple. In other words, instead of supporting my parents or helping them when in need, I'm going to give my gift to God, to, to the temple or the church, we might say today. And, and it sounds very pious and it sounds great. And oh, yes, but they were ignoring, denying, disobeying the very command of God to honor your mother and father, your parents. The scribal interpretation of Numbers 30 satisfied the letter of the passage, but missed the spirit of the teaching. So what's going on here? Sound a little confusing? How do we interpret Scripture? Well, it is a little confusing at first. Jesus is calling us to careful interpretation of Scripture. The Word of God must be rightly divided, must be handled with attention, with care, with understanding. Now, how many of you know that there are a lot of crazy interpretations of Scripture out there today? It seems like the most extreme ones, the most radical ones, are the ones that appear on television. Just watching the Total Christian Network sometimes drives me nuts. I mean, you see lots of weird things. Now, there are good preachers and good teachers on t TV, don't get me wrong, but so much of what I see just wants to, makes me cringe. You've got weird theories of end times with calendars and charts and timelines and return of Christ not once, but a couple, two, three times maybe. You've got people twisting prophecy. You've got pastors who distort the gospel to fit their own political view. You've got preachers that hawk over their congregations like bullies. There's just a lot of bad teaching. I hate to break it to you, but it's true. Now, I'm not setting myself up to be an expert. I'm not perfect. I don't always get it right either. But I've had enough Bible training and seminary education to spot bad theology when I see it. And these are the kinds of things that emerge from sometimes ill-trained, maybe well-meaning pastors some who get their ordination online, you know, you can do that nowadays. They have almost cult-like followings and black and white simplistic interpretations without really understanding the full body of Scripture. Friends, the Bible is so much deeper than that, so much richer, so much better than mere popular political interpretations, than simplistic black and white answers. I mean, don't even get me talking about Christian talk radio. Oh, my goodness. 
We have drifted so far from the teachings of Jesus Christ, friends, and God's intent. How many of you know that there's a lot of different genres of various things? Like, for example, music. There are various genres of music, right? There's rock and roll, there's classical, there's country western, there's bluegrass, there's hillbilly, kind of when I was down in Gatlinburg for my vacation last month and down to see the, in the Smoky Mountains, there's hillbilly bands out there and, you know, uh, grinning, picking and grinning, picking and grinning and stuff. Kind of, it's really a lot of fun, right? There's all these different genres of music. There's different genres of literature as well, right? You pick up a newspaper, if you, anybody gets a newspaper anymore, but remember those newspapers, remember those things? You know, and uh, you wouldn't read the, the, the comic section the same way you read the sports section. You wouldn't read the editorial page the same way you would read front page headline news. No, we would generally understand that these things are, are really very different, but we know that it's a part of our culture. And so, too, we must understand the culture of the Bible, that there are different genres. We, we ought to know something about what we're reading, what we're looking at. Are we, are we reading historical books from the Old Testament? Are we reading poetry, proverbs, and wisdom literature? Are we looking at the gospel accounts of Jesus' life? Are we looking at letters from Paul addressing specific situations in specific churches with a specific culture? Is it apocalyptic literature with images and figures that, that stand for other things? Are they the very words of Jesus himself? These are the things that we must take into consideration when studying the Bible and discerning its message for today. We can't always take what it says and make this giant leap to today's world. There are contextual issues to consider. I love how the reformers put it. They said, Scripture interprets Scripture. If you're taking a passage and you're running some rabbit trail off with some kind of weird interpretation and the rest of the Bible doesn't say that, chances are your interpretation is wrong. I'll just state it to you bluntly. Okay. We, scripture interprets Scripture. The whole body of Scripture goes together. There's one God, one theme. Word and Spirit go together. Honestly, I am a little skeptical of people who have it all figured out. I mean, if it were that clear, why? Well, great, we'd all, oh, duh, how could I miss that, right? You know, sometimes people make it more black and white than even what Jesus did. It's not always that way. Some denominations have said, don't put a period where God has put a comma. Well, I'm not sure that the canon of Scripture is still open today, but perhaps God is still revealing things to us. I mean, isn't this what he said in John 16, verses 12 through 13? He said I have, to his disciples, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. I don't know about you, but I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still being guided by the Spirit into that truth to understand the teachings of Scripture. Jesus is saying, the Word of God, it must have authority, but it must also be handled with attention, 
with careful interpretation, and let me add, with a dose of humility. Let me just throw this in, an extra bonus. Uh, look at verse 16 in your passage. Do you see it there? Verse 16? No, you don't see it there because <laughs> it's not there. Do you notice that? The passage goes from verse 15 to 17. Did you notice that? I don't know if you saw that or not, but that's what, that's what it does. Why? Why did it do it? Somebody omitted it. Whoop, it was a mistake. No. Uh, there was a verse 16 in some manuscripts of the Bible that were found, but then earlier, more reliable manuscripts of the Bible were discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they learned that verse 16 wasn't in those more earlier reliable manuscripts. It's a whole science called textual criticism, not to be critical of the text, but to, to study it and to understand it. And, and so there are people, that scholars that devote themselves to getting this right. And so even that should teach us that we need some humility when we deal with the Word of God. Jesus concerned that the Word of God has ultimate authority, that it is handled with attention, and thirdly, the Word of God must be held with affection. Just say it with me. The Word of God must be held with affection. Excuse me. Um, anybody here uh, remember the name, the author of your high school math book? Yeah. <laughs> How about your high school history book? Remember the author? Hey, do you remember the editor? You know, Houghton Mifflin? I don't know. Um, how about your high school science textbook? Remember, who was the author? Did you love his writings? Oh, man, he was a great, just waxed eloquent about science. No, nobody remembers the author and the editors of their high school textbooks. Why? We don't read them. We don't, really, we don't care less who the author is. We're trying to get through the course, but we're reading those books for the content, not to get to know the author. This is where the Bible is so different. It is the one and only book probably that you will read to get to know the author. That the words on the page point to something else, someone higher, to God himself. Praise God, the Spirit of God is alive in these pages. 66 books. 40 or so different authors over a period of about 1,500 years, three different languages, two testaments, old and new, and yet one great theme, the plan of God's redemption for humankind, people like you and me, through Jesus Christ. Friends, that doesn't happen merely by coincidence. The Spirit of God is alive and working in these pages. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active. I shared with you last week how the Holy Spirit spoke to me while I was reading the book of Proverbs of all books. God came alive to me through His Spirit on those pages. Now, would anybody here, have you ever stood up a friend, like for lunch or something? Anybody? You, know, you don't have to raise your hand. All right. So, 
uh, to protect the guilty here, right? But, you know, if you set an appointment and you want to see somebody for lunch, you know, we're going to follow through, right? You're, you're going to follow through with that. I mean, it, it kind of be a little weird to say, oh, I'm going to set up a lunch. I don't really want to go. I don't think I'm going to show up. You know, I just blow them off, stand them up, you know. No, we wouldn't do that. You wouldn't do that. If you say, hey, I want to meet you for lunch at Jimmy John's on Wednesday at 12 noon. Why, I'm going to have my turkey tom sandwich, you know, with a little cheese and a chocolate chip cookie. I'll, I'll be there. I'll meet you there, right? Yeah, so it sounds pretty good, right? I'm getting kind of hungry now. What time is it? Okay. No, you wouldn't, stand, you wouldn't stand up your friends. Well, why would we stand up God? He's there. The living presence of God is there in Scripture, in the Word. And He's, in fact, calling you to Him. He says, I've given you this Word. It's kind of like a love letter to you. It, it spells out my plan of redemption for you, how you can find life, abundantly, infinitely, eternally, and I'm giving it to you, and, and God is saying, come and just, just be with me, read with me, be with the living word, Jesus, through his scriptures. He's inviting us in. Um, you know, we wouldn't stand him up. Who would do that? Why would you do that? The psalmist said, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God, he says in Psalm 42, verse 2. Like, I can't wait. I get to meet with Jesus today. So I get up in the morning. I have my routine. I come downstairs. I have a hard-boiled egg and some back pain medication and a couple of vitamins. And I watch a little news at the same time. And then I brush my teeth and I sit in my chair. I turn off the TV. 20 minutes of news is all I need. And, um, and I open my Bible, and I've got a standing appointment with God every day to meet with Him. And if I ever stand Him up, I never feel very good about it. I know I've missed something. This is my Bible. It's kind of beat up. I got duct tape on it. At least I could find brown duct tape. It kind of matches, right? So, you know, it's kind of coming, it's kind of sticky. The glue here still kind of, I got to get some more duct tape. Anybody got brown duct tape? Let me know. This is the Bible that my parents gave me when I was in early junior high. I think I might have been around sixth grade or so when I received this. And I've had this Bible ever since. And to be quite honest, I've read it pretty much every day since I've owned it, since I had it. Um, it's kind of dirty and kind of broken and kind of marked up and messed up, but um, it's my friend. It's my friend. To me, it represents the Word of God. It represents an appointment that I have with God every, every morning, most every morning. What place does the Word of God have in your life? There's a lot of distractions in our world. There's a lot of things vying for your attention or pulling on you and, and that you could spend your time with. There's so many things, but really, Jesus is asserting today, this is the main thing. It must have authority. It must be handled with attention, with careful interpretation. And it must be held with affection. 
and it will change your life. And maybe this week, maybe today is a day where you say, you know what, I've kind of drifted away from my daily Bible reading. I've kind of strayed away from even having devotions. And today I just encourage you, I invite you, I exhort you, open up the Word of God. Just begin spending a little time with it. I, I'm reading, I love the book of Psalms. I go through those like at least once a year. Right now I'm reading Proverbs again, which is fabulous stuff. Uh, you want to be wiser, just read the book of Proverbs. And I'm also reading through uh, Romans, almost finishing Romans right now and just kind of going through uh, the arguments of Romans 9 through 11, uh, Paul's uh, kind of coming to terms with, with uh, God's work with the Hebrews and, or the Jews and the Gentiles. And, you know, it's just good stuff. And I just want the same for you. I want you to open up your word. I want you to fall in love with Jesus all over again. And I want you to make his word the main thing. The main thing. Would you do that? Would you do that? Would you commit to doing that? Would you invite Jesus into your heart and life anew every day, maybe every morning or every noon or every evening before you go to bed? Just open up this word, even if it's just a little paragraph or a couple of verses or a chapter somewhere. Let it, let it guide you. Let it transform you. Let it be the main thing. I think that's what Jesus is saying today. Father, we come before you this morning and we just say thank you for your word and your promises and, Lord, for all that you do and all that you are. Lord and God, come before us and just inspire us. Forgive us, Lord, when we have failed you, when we have taken your word for granted, Lord, when we have, have neglected your word or when we've misused it, when we've maybe beat people, other, beat people up with Bible verses. Lord, your word was never intended to be used that way, and it is but a love letter to us of your great plan of redemption. It's not a science book. It's not a history book. It's not just mere literature or a textbook. Lord, it is your word to us, the living word of God. Oh, Lord, nothing, nothing compares with your promise, the promises of Scripture. Thank you for it, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Let us stand and sing about the promises of Scripture. Nothing compares to this, the promise of Scripture that we have in God. Let us stand to sing this oldie but goodie. Mm -hmm.